Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Looking forward to talking about this the whole show. This is Wiggins America. Thanks for being here for the second hour of the show this weekend. Uh, now it's March, by the way. Welcome to March. Um, this is the story that is making the rounds within the progressive world. And I haven't addressed it yet because I was kind of waiting to see what was really going on. A lot of different texts coming out, a lot of different stories coming out. And I thought, you know what? I think I've read enough about this that I want to share some thoughts because it's been roughly two weeks, maybe a week and a half, since this was kind of breaking. But it hasn't permeated major news networks, which is why I love covering it. This isn't one that is being talked about on the news because it's about the news. So unless CNN or MSNBC or somebody is picking this up in very small doses, I actually would be surprised if they are because it involves lawsuits. I'm going to read the headline to you. you. You may have heard about it if you're a news junkie, and you're reading news, if you just watch and listen to news, though, you may not know about this at all. Rupert Murdoch says Hannity was privately disgusted with Trump after the 2020 election. Now, that's the headline of this story, but it feeds into a much larger story about this Dominion lawsuit, the voting system Dominion, um, Suing Fox News, they're also suing Newsmax and OAN, by the way, but this one's just about Fox, for defamation in claiming that their machines were hacked or could be hacked uh, to steal the election. Now, I'm going to read you this story. It's mainly focused on Sean Hannity, but all, I shouldn't say all, many of the anchors of Fox News are included in these. I don't know how they get these texts. I really don't. If they're not work phones, I don't know how they're legally allowed to, to demand the private text messages of Tucker Carlson, for instance. But he was uh, texting with Laura Ingram about this. I haven't seen anything that was terribly detrimental from them. I, maybe Jesse Waters. That's I haven't really seen all the texts. I'm trying to find them. <clears throat> but I think that's an example of where I'm going with this. And you'll, you'll see. Let me read the story here. It says, Fox News from the Hill. Fox News host... Sean Hannity was privately disgusted with former President Trump's actions following his loss in the 2020 election, despite showing steadfast support on air, according to statements made by the network's owner revealed in a new court filing this week. Now, that's interesting, and I would find that to be 
true. Uh, but I don't know that he was pri- you know, a privately disgusted. I think that we kind of knew how he felt. He wasn't going all in on the air, but he wasn't hiding anything either. It goes on to say, The revelation came in the latest court filing made by Dominion Voting Systems, which is suing Fox News and billionaire media mogul Rupert Murdoch for defamation, seeking $1.6 billion in damages for what it calls the network's repeated airing of false information about voter fraud. Now, let me pause right there before I go on. You probably have watched some Fox News. Maybe you watch a lot of Fox News. Did you see them talking about Dominion voting systems at all? And I'm not saying they didn't, but do you remember seeing that in 2020 or 2021? Because I do not. In fact, I was a critic that they weren't talking about this enough. Let me go on now. According to the filing, former Republican Speaker Paul Ryan, who sits on the board of Fox Corp, wrote to Murdoch after the January 6, 2021 attack on Capitol, that's what it says, by Trump supporters, and said he believed that some high percentage of Americans thought the election had been rigged against Trump because they got a diet of information telling them the election was stolen from what they believe were credible sources. Rupert Murdoch replied, thanks, Paul according to the filing, wake-up call for Hannity, who's been privately disgusted by Trump for weeks, but was scared to lose viewers. That's what Rupert Murdoch said. Hannity's statements around the time of the election on January 6th have been a focus of lawmakers and media for months during the hearings of the House Select Committee on the attack, and it goes into stuff that's not related to this lawsuit at all. Uh, Then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows showing Hannity telling Meadows, this is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy. You've probably seen some of that stuff. I certainly have. But related to this Dominion lawsuit, um, they're really focusing more on Hannity here than anybody else because I've seen some of the other texts that they've at least made public, and it doesn't really say anything. Now, uh, I was going to say proponents. Opponents of Fox News, the far left, or even the left at all, they have been trying to find examples of Fox News hosts being hypocrites on this because that's what furthers the cause. They don't really care about the Dominion lawsuit other than, hey, maybe it'll take away the profits of this network I hate. They just care about showing hypocrisy. So I've been following this for that reason. I'm going to read a little bit more of this article and then I'll get to the point here. The Fox has moved to have the case brought against Dominion by it dismissed on First Amendment grounds, arguing in a filing of its own this week that it was only covering the claims being made by Trump and his associates. That, to me, is a very strong case. The President of the United States is making the claims. So if Dominion want to sue him, sue him, but that's free speech too. But how could you, as a news network, not cover what the President and then former President were saying about the election system. That would be a dereliction of duty, and in fact, my criticism has been they didn't cover it enough. Because that was a big, big story, and everybody's talking about it, but they didn't want to touch it. They were too afraid. I would say that that um, that defense actually covers OAN and Newsmax, too. Now, if their opinion hosts are saying different things, I guess that's a different lawsuit. But if you're news and you're just covering, look, this is what Trump is saying. This is what his attorneys are saying. This is what Giuliani's saying. If you want to cover Sidney Powell, she was part of that team for a while. Whoever it is. 
Dominion, I'm reading the last bit of the story here. Dominion's lawsuit has always been more about what will generate headlines. This is Fox News's uh, rebuttal. Generate headlines than what can stand legal and factual scrutiny, as illustrated by them now being forced to slash their fanciful damages demand by more than a half billion dollars after their own expert debunked it as implausible claims, the network said. Their summary judgment motion took an extreme, unsupported view of defamation law that would prevent journalists from basic reporting and their efforts to publicly smear Fox for covering and commenting on allegations by a sitting president of the United States. It should be recognized for what it is, a blatant violation of the First Amendment. So I think that's actually a very good defense by Fox, that you you have to cover this. How could you not cover this? But their first sentence there, Dominion's lawsuit has always been more about what will generate headlines, is ridiculous. Dominion doesn't want headlines. Dominion would rather be unknown. They don't want the brand Dominion to be known. They would rather you go and vote and never know what the machine was. They don't want you to know any of that, so they don't want to be in the headlines. That's a ridiculous statement. But let me summarize this whole thing with my own opinion. That's Fox's opinion. That's the story that's happening. Are they going to win that lawsuit? I don't know. Of course, we'll we'll talk about it regardless of what happens, because I want to know what happens. But the problem here is that Fox, in the last two weeks, week and a half, whatever it is since this story has been out there, what I would have seen online, if Fox had been repeatedly saying statements about the election, and Dominion, specifically Dominion, those clips would be everywhere. They're easy to find. I mean, there are people whose job it is to collect these things. It's opposition, opposition resource. That's what it's called. Those clips from any host from 2020 or 2021 on Fox would be making the rounds by every Rob Reiner leftist pushed by every follower of progressive policy who hates Fox News, even moderate leftists who hate Fox News would be publishing and sharing those things. They're not there. And that doesn't mean that sometime soon somebody might find one, but they should have already found them. That, to me, is the weakest part of the case, that if these statements were so out there, then wouldn't our collective memory be that Fox had been talking about this a lot? But as you know, as somebody who obviously pays attention to the news, listening to news-related content right now, although it's my opinion, you would have a recollection of Fox talking about this, but they didn't. They just didn't cover it. So they could have, Hannity could privately be fuming about it and publicly be saying something else, but that doesn't affect the Dominion lawsuit at all because we all saw what happened. And again, if those clips were prevalent or I would say even existed, they would be everywhere right now, and they're not. Stop right there. We do have a lot more show coming up. We're going to get Trisha in here. we get the cast in here for Wiggins America. So stick around. Hey, Rob. 
Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. From the coast of Nebraska to the canyons of New England, this is Wiggins America. Oroy back in studio here for a little bit. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Yep. I got a, got a news story here that I've been watching, but there's nothing happened with it yet. So it's one that we're all kind of keeping our left eye on while the right eye is watching the ball. Uh, Supreme Court is taking up this issue of student debt relief. Seen anything about this? A little bit. So it appears... And you never really know because, oddly, some of the quietest justices have been a little bit louder on this one. And then you got uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh, who you kind of never fully know where they're going to land, which is right. really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they, <laughs> I like independent jurors. Or should I, should I say justices here. But... Uh, but they don't seem to have a whole lot of guiding principle. Neil Gorsuch has has guidance. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll criticize Clarence Thomas and even Alito to some degree and say they're pretty much going to vote conservative, which as a conservative, I love. But mm-hmm. that's not always the role of a justice. It's to interpret law, even law you don't like. Right. And I think Gorsuch <clears throat> really has it figured out. I used to think Roberts was kind of that guy. I don't anymore. I think he almost votes to preserve the integrity of himself and his court Right over that. So he looks like a centrist or somebody who's ideologically impartial, mm-hmm. but he's not. He's right. actually very partial, but not politically. It's like internally. Um, anyway, long story of explaining that, <laughs> that to say that it looks like they're going to strike down Biden's student debt relief. Is there any justification for him being able to do that? For Biden to be able to? Either legally or just with public perception. No. Can you find any reason why that is a good thing? His, his debt relief? Strictly from a political standpoint, yeah, you're buying votes. That's so that's nothing new. People have been doing that since Johnson or even earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> so um from that standpoint, you're trying to buy votes and, and voters, but no, legally and just common sense it it, it there's there's no justification yeah for it whatsoever that I, I can see i find in in the court of public opinion that the only people that really are trying to defend this are either people who are so far left that they just like we were just talking about they don't really have principle they just agree with things that are left 
So mm-hmm. that could change tomorrow, and they just go, well, what's what's the left position? And they just take it. Yeah. There are people on the right that do that, too. Don't get me wrong. But that's, in this case, what I see from people like Robert Reich. Do you know who this guy is? Oh, my gosh. Economist, if you want to call him that. Uh, his his justification, that the only one I've seen from him, because I looked to see, you know, this guy is about as left as they come, and he's an economist, so I'm sure he said something about him and Paul yeah. Krugman. And he said... If we can cancel trillions of dollars of debt for for businesses in the United States, surely we can cancel tri- uh, half billion dollars of debt. No, sorry, half trillion dollars of debt for <clears throat> the average American who wants to get a college degree. Those are nice platitudes, but you're comparing canceling debt from the PPP that the government shut down. So mm-hmm. the government shuts you down, then goes, here's your money, and then criticizes you for taking it. Like that's that's so ridiculous. If that's what he's referring to, I don't he didn't specify that that's what it was. But then, well, the government's already done a lot of bad things. Why wouldn't they just do another bad thing? <laughs> like that's the argument there. Yeah. No, I I I've never thought he's He's one of those people that's that's educated way beyond his intelligence. He's just not. He's never said anything smart that I can remember. Yeah, <clears throat> he's just strictly straight out of the Marxist handbook. Everything he says. Yes, yes. And the the I mean, it's almost tiresome to have these arguments because you 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 have to say things that are so patently obvious and. Like well, so where where what about people like like me or other people who have already paid all of that student loan money back? Do we get a refund, or yes. is this only for the people who don't want to pay? You know, there's there's so many just obvious counters to this. It's it's almost exhausting to try to have these discussions because it's like if you're that far bought into this leftist idea that. You've just out of the gate. You discount every rational and logical argument against it. Then there's no point in having the discussion. Man, I think that's a great point. If you're so far, I mean, it's the people that I said initially that were group one. And I never got to group two, but I will in yeah. a second. Group one is people who are so far left that they really stand for nothing, or they're like Robert Reich, and they're actually just Marxists. Yeah, and they're not going to say that openly, but that's what they're doing. <clears throat> that they. There's no arguing with that. You could say right. the most blatantly obvious thing, which is, you know, you understand what you're doing here is that you rail against, um, what's the term they always use? Privilege. Mm-hmm. You rail against privilege in any possible form that it comes. And then with your money, you support people who've, who are privileged. These are the people, right. college graduates, who are making the most money in the United States. Now, they're not the 1% or whatever, right. but- these are the people who are supposed to be the quote unquote leaders and who are supposed to be making actually statistically you do make more with a college education. So these are the people who are making the most money in the United States <clears throat> that they're saying we need to forgive their debt. <laughs> it's they I mean like you said there are so many angles to take that this is ridiculous that you did it but it looks like it worked. I mean the young people showed up in 2022 in the midterms well, yeah, you offer people free stuff. They're gonna, <clears throat> they're gonna follow you. But it, you know, if if they wanted to have a legitimate conversation about this, 
if they re- if the end goal was to really provide relief, they need to put this onto the institutions. The universities have these billion-dollar endowments, and they're completely off the hook because they go to the government, they get the money, they they hand out these worthless diplomas, and they yeah they're completely let off the hook. Yep. So if you made the universities responsible for covering these debts, you would you would that would the the cascading effect of improving our rotting higher education system would just that I mean it would inevitably would at least slightly start correcting that. I think it has. I think it it already started without them. <clears throat> right now the only reason it's propped up at all is because of the government. Mm. The the whole system would have collapsed, but I think already kind of is starting to because they can't find workers. And I did a story about this this week that if you can't find workers, well, what becomes really worthless? A bachelor's degree mm-hmm. because they don't care. They Oh, you got two years experience? I'll take that guy. Yeah. I don't care about your two years at a university somewhere learning about you know, gender affirmation studies right. or whatever. Even if it's in your field, I'd much rather have something, somebody who's done it than who's learned about it. Right. And that's happening. I mean, I've said that for years, but that's actually happening now because of the worker shortage. So the second group before I run out of time here is um, the first is the lefties who are just left. Mm -hmm. The second is people who support this just because they have some student debt. (laughs) Now, now there are real people who are in that camp and they may not be ideologically there, but they're kind of waiting to see to go, well, though, if somebody (laughs) wants to give me 15 grand and I kind of get that, but it's, man, at least you're not advocating for it. Yeah, okay, I'll take the money if it comes. I'm not in that camp. We've paid off our debt. So have you, apparently. But I do understand if somebody comes and just dangles a $10,000 carrot, you might go, eh, might take a (laughs) bite of that carrot. (laughs) All right, uh, short break here. We'll be right back with more Wings America. Something's been lost in the whole transgender bathroom debate. And that one thing is, I don't even want to poop next to dudes, let alone women. I don't want anybody. Think about yourself in the bathroom. Do you want somebody to sit in the stall next to you? No. What we really need are private bathrooms for everybody, all the time, everywhere. Instead of making a big public bathroom that they put a whole bunch of toilets in, why not make a bunch of little rooms? Then we don't have to worry about it at all. I'll share a sink with you. I don't care who you are. I'll share a sink. 
I don't want to poop next to you. And I think that that's something important that really has been lost in all the politics. You know, we just want to get rid of the politics sometimes. You just want to take a nice dump and not have to worry about what the person next to you is doing or thinking about you hiding your shoes, any of it. American Media Export. Wiggins, America. Here is the real point of this segment, which is not that. That was just like a little one-minute bit that I thought of, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to try it out. i got a radio show. I'm going to do it. Um, don't know if I actually worked it into my material or not. I'm not sure if it worked. Here you go. This is actually important, and it is part of the narrative about China that I don't think is being shared. I think there's a prevailing narrative, which is that let's just not talk about it. Then there is the everybody knows it narrative that China is a huge threat to the U.S. And that's bipartisan. And that's actually good that that's bipartisan. Then there is a tertiary, the third narrative that I have dipped into on this show that I'm not sure is a popular one, but I do it anyway because I feel like there's a lot of truth in it. And I also feel like there are a lot of people who are really worried about China, and it's not as if we shouldn't be. But there is a lot of hope here. One of those things that I say often is that dictators going to dictate. When you have a dictator, which is Xi now, he's not even pretending like he's elected anymore. I mean, it's just pure dictatorship. Um, they dictators can never have their, their lust for power is never satiated. So they just keep grabbing more and more and more. And what it does is it kills your people's spirit, first of all, but then that also kills your economy. And they've done that through COVID. They've killed their own economy so bad that um, really that's how you keep up in the world now is by having the biggest economy, by having the world reserve currency, for God's sake. We need to keep that. Um, that's how you win. Well, right now, guess what's happening in China? Demographics are shifting hard. Part of that is that breaking people's spirit thing, the hopelessness. Demographics is destiny, this little article says. It says China has lost 40 million workers since 2020, and its population is forecast to be cut in half by 2100. That's still a ways away. Obviously, it's 2023. We're talking about the end of this century. Uh, this is like a little short thread that I read <clears throat> about this, full of graphs. So obviously, it's a very visual medium. I'm trying to convey that to you here. But the problem is that India comparatively, is now the biggest country in the world for population. Did you know that? It just happened. So if you didn't, that's okay. But they just overtook China for largest population. And um, if it were just a temporary thing, you'd think, oh, well, China is just going to bounce back. They're not. Um, their population is aging at a much higher rate than births are happening. The opposite is happening in India. And oddly, in the United States, which is what I'm sure you care about the most, because that's what I do too, um, we are kind of in the middle. Uh, we're not bad. We're not growing fast, but we're still growing. And, and all population uh, metrics that are, that are predictive have us, even at a median rate of still growing, at high end, we would grow a little bit faster. At our low end, we would stay about the same, which is not great for an economy, but <clears throat> amidst all of the projections, most of them have us growing over the next roughly 70 years. 
that's great. And that's, that's like, you know, roughly a person's lifetime. And China doing the exact opposite. So not only are they currently killing themselves by heavy-handed dictatorship, uh, you know, dictators going to dictate stuff, but also long-term they don't look as good. Now, where's India in that? Just to briefly sum up, uh, they're kind of a weird country. We have a decent relationship with them. They're not actively against us, but I I wouldn't call them our greatest ally either. But that's something certainly to consider as the geopolitical landscape shifts. Not only do they have the biggest population in the world now, but they also have the fifth largest economy overtaking Great Britain just recently. So just something, I think, broad view, something to consider, keep an eye on. I like that stuff simply because it's, it is pretty broad view stuff. And sometimes it alleviates the immediate concerns of a balloon and stuff like that. Not that that's not a concern, but just... Just a wider picture is all. All right, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of this show, Wiggins America. too hot and Wiggins Canada was too cold. Wiggins America, just right. Memories of a man in his old age are the deeds of a man in his prime. You shuffle in the gloom of the sick room and talk to yourself as you die. Okay, this is a little crazy. Crazy thing to end the show on, certainly. I have been watching some old DVDs. I've been trying to work out more, so I got the stationary bike. It's kind of a piece of junk, but it's all I got right now. I'm trying to get a better treadmill, but I'm using what I got, okay? Props to me for that. So I'm trying to ride this bike, and I put something on. I'm riding in a room that I don't normally watch TV, but I do have a little TV in there. By today's standards, it's little. By old standards, it's a nice big TV. (laughs) But by today's standards, it is a smaller screen TV. I don't have a Roku set up. I don't have internet on it. It's not a smart TV. It's just a TV. And I have a DVD player. And I actually have a region-free DVD player. I got one of those for Christmas a couple years because I like watching movies from other parts of the world sometimes, especially Great Britain. And sometimes, the other cool thing is, you can find DVDs for movies cheaper overseas than you can here. And so I just order the international copy. It's cheaper. I can watch it on that thing. So I've been doing that, walking through some older DVDs. Well, obviously, they're not making as many DVDs. Not that they don't make a DVD for a movie now. You can still find them. But that's not a big point of sale for a movie now. So... Most of the DVDs that I have, I'm going back and re-watching old series that I like. Twilight Zone's one of those. I'm not actually doing that one, but I have the 80s version of the Twilight Zone. Did you know that they had one of those? Lasted for three seasons, 80s version of Twilight Zone. Rod Serling wasn't in it. Obviously, 
He's dead. <laughs> but uh, that was the second incarnation of the show. The third one was in 2002 on UPN. And the fourth one was just recently with Jordan Peele. All of those series had hit and miss. Actually, all four of the, the series had hit and miss. Let's not pretend that the original Twilight Zone was perfect either. Um, but point being that most DVDs, after about, let's say, 2012, you just don't see as many. Maybe a little bit later than that. Maybe. Let's say 2015, 2016. But DVDs kind of peaked around... 2007 or 8. Wouldn't you agree? That's when all of the series were coming out on DVD. You could get lost. You know, you could get the whole season of Lost and binge it. And that was such a big deal at the time. And so I have several series from that era on DVD. So I'm going back through one of them that I'm watching is called The Lost Room. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into that series because it's not really the point, but it's a really cool show with Juliana Margulies in it and you never would have seen the show. I think there were only about 10 episodes, and it was on Sci-Fi Channel. And it's about a guy who finds a key that opens any door, but when you go through the door, it's an old hotel room. And then if you leave the hotel room, it goes into a different door somewhere else in the world. And you can kind of determine where that door ends up by just thinking about it. But all the items in this old hotel room are essentially like magic powers. If you take them out with you, they do different things. Like there's a and they do random things. Some of them do almost nothing. There's a watch that all it does is boils eggs. <laughs> you know, and then there's a ticket that if you hit somebody with the with this concert ticket, it shoots them out of the the way, you know, it like blows them back. There's all kinds of weird stuff. It's a really cool series and he's on a mission to find his daughter who went into the room and then somebody shut the door and then opened it again and where do, where do you go if that happens okay so that's the series i started rewatching it just cuz it's really weird really cool series highly recommend checking it out if you can find it it's hard to find but i've got it on dvd for that reason at the beginning of the dvd there is three or four previews that i'm i'm fascinated when i go back and watch the previews of these movies that they existed Obviously, somebody paid to promote them, and yet, what the heck are they? These are movies that I've, I've never seen most of them, especially for these sort of in-the-weeds series that, that people have forgotten about. Weird, weird stuff. So, <laughs> uh, one of the previews on this show just blew me away. Never seen the movie, still haven't, but I looked it up right away because I had to know more about this. It was made in 2007, came out in 2007. The movie is called Death of a President. It is a fake documentary, but if you were an alien coming down to the United States right now and you said, I'm going to watch a documentary and you watch this, you would not know that it was fake. We know because we know the history of the country, but if you didn't, it looks real. I pulled a clip. Listen to what this movie is about. It's called Death of a President, 2007. I was being informed in the course of the evening, along with Mrs. Bush, um, but I don't think I really understood the extent of the injuries until about 1.30 in the morning when I called up and said, how's my boss doing? And the nurse started crying, and I think that was when I knew. I immediately went to the chapel to talk to Mrs. Bush and to pray with her. 
country entrusts us to protect our president. That's our job. You don't do a pretty good job of protecting the president. You either do it or you don't. And the Secret Service failed that day, and I failed. This is not official, but a source inside the hospital has confirmed. We are hearing from a source inside the hospital that the word from Northwestern Hospital is that the 43rd president, George W. Bush, is dead. Died. Died. Died a short while ago. He was 61. Vice President Cheney is in a secure location. We don't know where he is, but will presumably take the oath of office shortly to become the 44th president of the United States. Death of a President is a fake documentary made in 2007 that's supposed to take place roughly a year after the fictional assassination of George W. Bush. It is a feature-length film. I, I vaguely recall this movie existing, obviously never saw it. And I got to say, when you watch stuff from this era, the early to mid-2000s, even up through the early to mid-2010s, they're doing so much different stuff than we could do now. And we always think about that in terms of, um, you know, insensitive content. It's very true. I mean, comedians especially, comedy shows, we're doing stuff. I know we're talking about mainstream stuff, Paul Rudd stuff that I've watched Role Models recently with 2008. They're saying stuff that you would not be able to do now. It's amazing. But there's also stuff like this that is a, in their words, the filmmakers' words, a thought experiment. You would not be able to do this now unless you were trying to be controversial. I think they were kind of trying to be controversial then, but it didn't make a ton of waves. Uh, Their point was, well, what if this happened? This is what it would be like. And they actually did a really good job of making it real. But I just was interested to see of those who reviewed the movie. I looked up a review from Detroit Free Press. It says the two to credit of Range and Simon Finch. And there were some people who did pan this movie, by the way, uh, with whom he wrote the screenplay. It makes the point and poses its moral questions without speeches or quotation marks. They gave it a very positive review in the Detroit Free Press. Then I looked up their editorial on January 6th. I think you know where this is going. When we talk about the failed insurrection on January 6th, I'm quoting here, 2021, let us be clear by acknowledging we are talking about death and destruction. A mob invaded our nation's capital, smashing windows and breaking down doors, assaulting Capitol Police, sending a joint session of U.S. Congress running for cover and security. They ransacked the offices of the people's representative and occupied the historic and sacred places where our democracy fulfills its constitutional promise. You don't need to be a historian to know that the mob assembled was attempting to overturn the 2020 election. They came barreling down from the former president's rally, which is not true, actually. There's actually a lot of this in this that's not true, where the big lie and the other terrible conspiracies echoed down the National Mall. They opened this whole thing by saying, you know legitimate political discourse when you see it, and you know what it is not. History tells us that legitimate political discourse has never left five dead bodies in its wake. By the way, that isn't true. Ashley Babbitt was the only uh, person who died as a result of violence that day. Some, some of the, there are other deaths, but there are heart attacks and things. Um, people legitimately or deliberately misquote that. 
<clears throat> so there's a lot of, of false stuff in here. But my point is that their their whole point, their thesis of this is, you know, legitimate political discourse when you see it and you know what it is not. And yet the same paper praised a movie called Death of a President. It was the fictional assassination of George W. Bush. Now, I'm not going to link the dots or connect the dots here and say that every single person who watched Death of a President and approved of a fictional documentary about the assassination of George W. Bush um, also was panning January 6th. I, I don't have the evidence to show that those are the same camps. But I think that you could say that there is a possible great deal of overlap between people who liked the the former, the one from 2007, and universally derided the violence from 2021. Do you think that's fair? I don't know that it is. But I do, I do like the freedom of expression that people had in 2007 and the decade around it. When I watch stuff now, I think, my gosh, we have fallen. We have come so far in our loss of free speech and thought policing that it is, it is shameful where we are now. And it's all in the name of people who just want to control what you think and say. They don't really care about the causes that they're talking about. They want to control it. Death of a President. If you want to go see it. 2007, I think you can probably still find it somewhere. As long as you have a DVD player. Not not everybody has a DVD player anymore. But there you go. Weird note to end the show on, but if you want to rewind and hear any of this show, as always, you can go to the Odyssey app and rewind within 24 hours. You can wait until we post this whole podcast on Monday. We will see you next weekend. talk.com Hey Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.